Greetings. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 23 through 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Let's pray. Father, we come to the text this morning, and it is our heart's desire to not only hear you speak to us today, but also to have some way of our spirit brought more into the conformity of Christ, that you would minister to us through your Holy Spirit and that you might apply the truths of your word to us in such a way that we might live a life according to your will and calling, that we may walk in a manner worthy of the high calling of the gospel, and that we would strive to be a people that you have called us to be. We thank you that even in this time of uh, hard providence, we have much to be thankful for. And in this time, we have learned to value things that we may have taken for granted. And so I ask, Father, that you would uh, convict us where that may be a reality and, and cause us, stir us to be eager to come back together as your, your people gathered and assembled for your purposes and your glory. We thank you that you will do it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the text that we come to today finds itself at the concluding words of Paul's letter to the believers in Thessalonica. This section of the letter is actually the conclusion to the second part of the letter of 1 Thessalonians, and many people have divided the letter into two parts, the first being chapters 1 through 3, and that's often called the uh, personal nature or the heart of Paul's ministry. And the second part is chapters 4 and 5. And this is a more practical nature having to do with our conduct. And that second part begins in chapter 4, really in verse 3, where Paul says, "'This is the will of God, your sanctification.'" It can be said then that all of the verses that follow from chapter 4 and verse 3 unto chapter 5 and verse 24 deal with this issue of sanctification. Now, sanctification is the process by which believers come to be holy. It is a process that involves the continual changing of the will, actions, and thoughts to look more and more like Christ. It It is as comprehensive as the depravity of the human heart. So thorough is the corruption of sin in man that the work of sanctification is no less corrective by divine power until there is a complete reconstruction of life. Now we say that in light of the many commands of the scriptures. And in this letter, we're going to go back and we're going to see some of the commands that Paul gives to these believers beginning in chapter 4 and verse 3. And I'm going to read through these 
and then we'll, we'll continue in our work. So beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, abstain from sexual immorality. Learn to love one another. Lead a quiet and peaceable life. We are to live our lives in the reality of the sudden, expected return of the Lord Jesus. Live as children of the day, not as children of the night. Esteem very highly in love those who labor among us as those who seek our spiritual welfare unto life eternal. Encourage and admonish one another. Live in peace with one another. Do not take revenge. Seek good for one another and all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In all circumstances, give thanks. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything. Hold fast to that which is good. And finally, in chapter 5 and verse 22, keep from every form of evil. As we think of this long list of commands, we may find ourselves in a place similar to the position of the apostle here when he wrote to the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where there in verse 16, he asks the rhetorical question, who is sufficient unto these things. What a huge list of behavioral corrections that we have here. And we may be apt to ask or to say to ourselves, if we are honest, how can a person as weak and feeble as I rise to such an order? Well, that is exactly why Paul, in this concluding statement of our text, says the beautiful thing that he does in verses 23 and 24. And a more direct translation of verse 23 may be this, and I offer this to you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, so that you will be preserved complete without blame at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the first thing that we notice is that our sanctification comes from Almighty God himself. He, the God of peace, is the one who will do it. And from the standpoint of faith, that is an important thing for us to realize. It is true that God calls upon us in His Word to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I hope that nothing I say here today challenges or weakens that truth. Because there is a striving, a, a, a mortifying of sin, a putting to death of sin beyond the work of regeneration that is done in the life of the believer in cooperation with the Spirit of God. And it is done with the cooperation of the Spirit of God, or it is not done. The Scriptures tell us that it is God who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And this is a reference that we find from the Old Testament expanding into the New. And I have a few examples for us. Uh, in the Old Testament, I would like to start uh, with the divine covenant promise of God with reference to His work of regeneration and sanctification through the prophet Ezekiel. 
In Ezekiel 36, 27, the Lord says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk after my statutes, and you will be careful to obey all of my commands. We go back a little further into the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the book of Deuteronomy, you may recall, is Moses' word to the children of Israel. And it is what he says right before he goes up onto the mountain to die that is important for us. And really, as you read through the book of Deuteronomy, you find mountains of commands that he sets before the people of God. You have the promise of obedience to the commands which bring about blessing, and you have the warning of disobedience against the commands which bring about his wrath. And you go through all of the commands that Moses sets before them in 32 chapters, and you might be apt to say, like the Apostle Paul, once considering the sure volume of these commands, who is sufficient for such things? Well, despite the height and the depth of these numerous commands, we find something wonderful in Deuteronomy chapter 33 in verses 25 and 27. When Moses gives the blessing to Asher, he says this in verse 25. Your locks will be iron and bronze, and according to your days, so will your leisurely walk be. There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in His majesty. The eternal God is a dwelling place. And I would like to emphasize this final phrase, and we'll come back to this in a moment. Verse 27, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Or should we consider Joshua when he was charged by God to go into Canaan and to destroy the Canaanite nation? There will be great battles, was promised. The charge and the list of the things to do in order to lead the children of Israel into the land was steep. And if we read through the book of Joshua, we might remember or even be apt to say, who is sufficient for such things? Well, in Joshua 1.9, the Lord says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, the title of this message is His Faithfulness, Our Complete Sanctification. And time and time again, in the commands of God found in Scripture, we find His faithfulness. The commands that He gives are followed by the promise of His faithful presence, so that He who calls is the same He who supplies for the doing. God's calling of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. In that vision there, the prophet was granted a peek behind the veil of this world into the spiritual realm and the heavenly temple of the Lord who was high and lifted up. And Isaiah saw the great creatures worshiping there as they proclaimed, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And in that trinity of holies, Isaiah was immediately aware of his sinful condition. And the Lord was calling Isaiah to minister to his people. And what was the prophet's response? Isaiah 6, 5 sounds very similar to Paul's declaration or question 
in 2 Corinthians. It sounds like who is sufficient unto these things. But this is the response of Isaiah, chapter 6 and verse 5. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Well, you may recall the situation. What happens next? Well, we know that the Lord sends one of the servant creatures with a hot coal from the altar in tongs, and it is touched to the mouth of Isaiah. And this is a sign. It is a sign that the Lord has required something of Isaiah, and the Lord is going to be faithful to supply for His need in His doing. And it is the same with us. The Lord is required of us, and He is faithful to supply for our need in the doing. Now, I hope this gives us some context into the faithful promise, the faithful presence, the faithful supply of the Lord. And as we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and look at verse 23, we find that Paul refers to God as the God of peace. Now, this is not a small thing. He says that the God of peace sanctify you entirely. Why does he call God the God of peace? Well, because that phrase, and in that phrase, we are reminded of what God has done. He has done something that is surely and seemingly impossible. How shall we, filthy sinners, have peace with our God? How shall we, men of woe and unclean lips, how shall we, enemies of God, now have such a relationship with Him as we do? How shall we become to have peace with Him? Well, He is called the God of peace because in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God communicates to us and grants to us a peace that surpasses all understanding. I was guilty, deserving of eternal wrath and judgment, and yet in Christ, God has given me peace. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Now, the God who has given us peace with Himself through Jesus sanctify you entirely. Romans 8.32 tells us that God did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. And if that is the case, if He will not spare His Son, but deliver Him over to the cross for the suffering of our sins then do we doubt that He is also going to supply us everything that we need all the way to glory? That is the picture here. And even though Paul has set this high bar of sanctification in chapters 4 and 5, he says, do not be discouraged. Do not forget that I am praying that the God of peace sanctify you entirely, completely. And that is what is meant by spirit, soul, and body being preserved without blame at the coming of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. The process of sanctification is a wonder that can only be explained and be rooted in the divine work of God. Yet it is given to us in the form of commands to follow. Commands that we can only do cooperating with the Spirit of Christ as we grow into His image. And this is a good place for us to speak of the three parts of sanctification. We know that in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, we are told that at the sacrifice of Christ, we are set aside, we are sanctified, and that is done in our past by His obedience, even unto His death on a cross. But then there is a current aspect of our sanctification, in that in this progress that we go through, it's a, it is progressive as the Holy Spirit works in us as we walk in a style of life united to Christ. We are careful to follow the commands of God by His power, and He is working in us to do that which is good. And then we have what is in view here in our text, a future complete aspect of sanctification. It is astonishing to see that what is alluded here is that the Apostle Paul in verse 23 is actually saying that we are to be perfect. The prayer is one that means from every possible view and angle that you look at the man, the believer, or the woman in Christ, we are to be in the end made perfect. In one place, we are told to be perfect, a finished product, if you will, as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. If we are to dwell with the three times holy God in all eternity, then we need to be, at the end, made perfect. Notice the mention of spirit, soul, and body in our text. And I believe this is just another way of saying from every angle we are to be completely sanctified. Now, some teach that uh, this is a doctrine of Paul where he introduces the trichotomous nature of man, that man is made in three parts. But what I see from scriptures is that there is a synonymous mentioning of spirit and soul. And in some 78 places in the scriptures, we see that there is a mention of body and a mention of soul. So I don't believe, uh, and many a paper has been written from this text, uh, that this is teaching a trinity of man. Rather, I believe that Paul is speaking of the totality of the sanctifying and completely preserving work of God without blame that will be at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know from John's writings in his letters, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, where John says, Beloved, we are children of God, and it, is, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. We are going to be like Jesus in every aspect of the body, complete and without blame, glorified, perfect, and preserved. So the work of sanctification is not complete until the whole man is brought into conformity with the glorious image of Christ. If we are His, 
and united with Christ now, then we will be made like Him when we see Him, when we enter glory, making us fit for fellowship and company with Him whom our hearts desire. We must see the bringing to a complete and full end here, as the words in our text say, being preserved complete. God will make that sanctification, making us holy, as a finished work. This is like a finished product. Uh, one illustration is when a potter is, takes a lump of clay and he sets it on the spinning wheel. Well, that is not a finished product. When the potter begins to work a shape into the lump, that is not yet a finished product. Now, when the potter forms a cup or some vessel, that is not the finished product. When the potter begins to shave off all of the offending pieces to clarify the form and then removes it from the wheel, that yet is even not a finished product. It is only after the fine detail and the glaze is put upon that work. It is only after it has been put through the fiery heat of the kiln and comes out in all of its finished glory that the potter may look upon the vessel and say that this is a finished product, preserved, complete. God is the one who is faithful to do what He has declared of Himself to do, and He will do it completely. Every friend that we have, every family member, brother or sister, every trusted confidant must and will fail us at some point, no matter how faithful they claim to be in our endeavoring. They will fall short because it is that the Lord Himself must be shown as faithful. He has said it, therefore it will come to pass. And because of that, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ for the saving of their soul will become a finished product. Now, brethren, I, I understand that our walk at times challenges our assurances. And sometimes we find ourselves questioning the worthiness of our walk in the gospel. Well, be of good cheer. Remember, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. By God's grace, He who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of the Lord Jesus. The preacher Spurgeon emphasized this exact point in a couple of his messages, and I have included a quote in our bulletin. It's a, it is a, a great example of how Charles Spurgeon was able to take very lofty and, and, and wide doctrinal uh, points and condense them down to very chewable bite-sized pieces. And it's no different for this, uh, this quote here. And this is what Spurgeon says regarding sanctification. He says, quote, If He gives you grace to make you believe, He will give you the grace to live 
a holy life afterwards. This is the truth of sanctification, and it has long been held by Christianity throughout the ages. Uh, most, if not all, of the beloved confessions address the topic. They show that it is a doctrine that faithful saints of old from uh, the prophets and those of the Old Testament, even unto the apostles of the New, have sought to let the Scriptures speak on and to uh, really clarify for us not only the idea of the definition, uh, but the working and the meaning of it. And I have for us one of those confessions. I'll, I'll read chapter 8 from the Second London Baptist Confession, and it is entitled Sanctification. This is in the modern English. There's three small paragraphs. In paragraph 1, those who are united to Christ and effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them through the power of Christ's death and resurrection, they are also further sanctified, really and personally. Through the same power, by His Word and Spirit dwelling in them, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the various evil desires that arise from it are more and more weakened and put to death. At the same time, those called and regenerated are more and more enlivened and strengthened in all saving graces so that they practice true holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Paragraph 2. This sanctification extends through the whole person. Though it is never completed in this life, some corruption remains in every part, for this arises from this arises a continual and irreconcilable war with the desires of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Paragraph 3. In this war, the remaining corruption may greatly prevail for a time. Yet, through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part overcomes. So the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. They pursue a heavenly life in gospel obedience to all the commands that Christ, the commands of Christ as head and king, he has given them in his word. I hope you picked up on one part. Through the continual supply of strength, from the sanctifying Spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome, and the saints grow in grace." Now I believe Spurgeon's quote echoes this confessional statement perfectly. This is the faithful and sure work and will of God in Christ Jesus to bring us into His image, and He cannot fail. In all of our best efforts and human activities, we are not able to follow through to perfect completion in all things. But praise be to God that He does. We, at the slightest hiccup, often become discouraged and we give up, but God does not become discouraged. 
throughout the history of redemption, we see that many times it would appear to us that God would not be able to bring about His finished work of redemption in Christ. I think of the many times that the children of Israel looked as though they were sure to be cut off and done away with, but God kept on with His promises and His purposes. And that is what He will do until the end of time. And the purpose and will includes the complete sanctification of every one of the members of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, but I so often fail, dear brother. Amen. Rest assured that He will not. You may say, but I am so afflicted and heavy-hearted. Amen. Rejoice and do not stop praying and give thanks in all things. For this too is meant for your sanctification. Trust that the one who is perfecting you is the same one whose hand has measured out every ounce of this hard providence. Do not cease to do good. Continue on. Fight the good fight of faith. And remember, the eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Sometimes, the affliction that we experience is the loving, corrective hand of the Father. The psalmist in Psalm 119.67 says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. There are many things that the Lord brings into our lives for our good and His glory. The Scriptures reassure us, that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things. We look at the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, or some other situation, and as we are understanding God is at work even in those valleys, we tend to think, Lord, is even this for my good and my sanctification? Well, listen to the psalmist once more. In 119.71, the psalmist says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. God has a wide range of ways in which He perfects our sanctification. And there are times when I think it is also a good thing that God does not consult with me before using any of them. Because I would not choose the things that He so wisely chooses for my good. And that He afflicts is a promise of His that He is faithful to keep. If you were a child of God, He will send whatever necessary to bring us to the point of being a finished product. Paul understood this in Romans 8.18 when he said, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, this is after he wrote, by which we cry, Abba, Father, being adopted as sons. You see, the clay in the hand of the potter, once it hardens, requires sharp tools to smooth out the edges, to set the beauty of the detail and all of this before the fiery furnace. It is on the other side of molding, forming, scraping, sanding, casting in the kiln, that the end product is revealed. And this is the same 
with God and His people. He will bring every one of His children to the point of being a finished product. Another thing that we want to see in our text is this. Being preserved complete is only at the coming of the Lord Jesus. This is also repeated in the Bible. Philippians 1.6 tells us that He who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Christ. Why does it say, unto the day of Christ? Well, no believer is going to be a completed work of God until the return of Jesus Himself. There is an entire world of people from one extreme to the other on this topic. You have some religious systems that teach that through sacraments and traditions you can be made perfect but for a moment. And then you must continue to partake in order to be made perfect once again. There are others that look to the work of venerated people who have since passed away and pray to them for their sanctifying power. There are Protestants that have bought into this lie that there is a way in which we can be absolutely perfect in this life by our striving. Many different groups within Protestantism elevate the supernatural or spiritual experiences before their people, and they point to that very experiential fervor as leveling up or coming upon some second blessing, if you will, unto perfection. But, beloved, the Scriptures are very clear. No believer will be complete to the conformity of the image of Christ until His coming. And one place that we can see this very clearly is in Hebrews chapter 11, often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. And here we read that by faith, Abel offered to God better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. We read that by faith, Enoch, who was taken and did not see death, he was pleasing to God. We read that by faith, Noah prepared an ark, becoming the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. We read that by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, and so on and so forth. And then we get to the end in verses 39 and 40 of Hebrews chapter 11. And this is what we read that so profoundly makes this point. Verse 39. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Not Abel, not Noah, not Abraham, not Moses are made perfect even yet, and they won't be without us. The Scripture is consistent in its testimony of the faithfulness of God, and it is sure the testimony of His work, and it is comforting as it dispels all error with regard to perfectionism before the coming of Christ. And there is no individualistic perfectionism. Beloved, we must wait for the return of Christ for that, just like the patriarchs. 
You see, sanctification is the process by which the whole body of the Lord Jesus Christ, His blood-bought bride known as the church, is brought through the ages of covenant history to, to the point of complete and utter perfection. And if you are interested here in our text, in verse 23b, now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you. That word you in the original Greek is plural. And it may indicate to us something very significant, and it is that the people of God will be sanctified together so that we are presented without blame at once together at the coming of our Lord. Now, here's the truth I'd like to pull from this. Sanctification is a group thing. You see, the process of sanctification requires more than what you or I have to do it on our own. The grace of sanctification comes by being in the visible assembly of God's people. Even the progressive part of sanctification is delivered and worked in us by our gathering together to worship to minister to one another. You see, I, I have the unique blessing and great privilege of being here speaking with you on this day. And by God's providence, it was that I also was the last person to preach a message when we were all gathered together on the last day back in March before this recent um, COVID-19 situation. And so the distance between the last time I was here preaching before our gathered assembly and today in which I'm preaching to you in the last of these recorded messages before we meet again next Lord's Day, we have discovered and surely come to know that there is something missing in our Christian walk when we no longer are able to assemble. You see, the Lord has given gifts to the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, we are told that they are for the edification of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to be to the measure of the statute which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all the likeness of Him. You see, each one of us has special gifts that are essential to one another. For instance, you cannot be sanctified without hearing the Word of God preached regularly. We cannot grow in sanctification if we are not submitted to elders who care for our souls as we walk this pilgrim way. We rely on teachers who are gifted in opening up the Word of God for us and to stir us into good works by the divine truths of God. No, beloved, our gathering together is a type of our final gathering together with the saints at His coming. And God has designed it for our good. Sanctification is God's corporate enterprise. And so Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, you are going to be entirely, completely sanctified by the God of peace all the way to becoming a finished product. 
Now, considering everything that we have heard from the Old Testament to the New, we can see why Paul says in verse 24, Faithful is He who calls you, and He will do it. You and I need that verse. For without it, we have no leg of assurance to stand on. And if we are honest once again, and we take a long look at ourselves, do we see anything in ourselves apart from the Spirit of Christ that would make us believe that we are able to obtain to the perfect image of Christ on our own? Well, I don't know about you, but I cannot say that I have found any amount of confidence in myself to do those things. So many of the dear ones who have gone on before us, some of which I have known personally, have had one common resound in their Christian life with regard to the nature of the flesh, and it was this. The more I go on through this life, and the more I know of the holiness of God, the more of my sin I know. The closer you get to Him, the more you, you will be aware of your unworthiness, the more you will need to have this blessed assurance that faithful is He who calls you, for He will bring it to pass. It is God's will for you and your sanctification, beloved. There will be times when you will ask, who is sufficient for these things? And there will be times when you will feel as though you are so downtrodden and failing in this Christian walk, but be of good cheer and remember like Paul, forget what lies behind and reach for that which is ahead. Press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. And underneath everything that you do, remember are the everlasting arms of the mighty God who has promised to complete that work in us. This is God's word for God's people. Now may I close with the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And these words are to those who are outside of Christ, and it is a plea for the unbeliever. Quote, Are you yet outside of Christ? Is His faithfulness to save and His faithfulness to punish still something that you disregard? Let me say, dear friend, that Christ knows of your trust in self-righteousness. He knows of your self-trust. You cling to both so fondly as some way of comfort, though they will not save and they will not excuse from punishment. Christ also knows that unless we give up both, we will be dashed into pieces in the end, for that rotten trust will ruin us. Hear Jesus say, Sinner, let go of your own trust and drop it into the sea of my love. Do not say to yourself, Can I be saved by trusting God? Can I trust an angry God? Ah, will not mercy's tender cry persuade you, friend? He that believes shall be saved. Must the weapon of destruction be pointed directly at you? Must you hear the dreadful threat? Trust him who is faithful when he says, He that believes will not be damned. It is with you now. Your position is one of eminent peril in itself, and your sliding of the Father's counsel is a matter of more terrible alarm. 
It makes peril more perilous. You must do it. Let go of your hold. That is faith. When the poor sinner lets go and is saved, it is the very thing that is perceived by him to destroy him that actually saves. Oh, believe on Christ. Believe on Him. You know your guilt and misery, so come and cast yourself upon Him. Come, trust my Master. And as He lives before, before whom I stand, you shall never trust Him in vain. You shall find yourself forgiven and go on rejoicing in Christ. For it is He who says, The one who comes to me will never be cast out. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who thirsts come. And let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. This is the will of God for His people. And this is the call to those who are yet outside of Christ. Faithful is He who calls you, for He will bring it to pass.